Hi and welcome to the 2019 Counselor State of the Industry Report podcast. I'm Dave Agnoni, editor of Counselor. I'm joined by Nate Kozma, the executive director of research at ASI. Nate, what's happening? Things are good. Things are good right now. Uh, State of the industry is our biggest issue of the year. Uh, We're looking for trends. We're highlighting top 40 companies. We have award winners that we're showcasing. When you look at this year's data, Nate, and this is probably the most comprehensive uh, report we have done in terms of state of the industry. What were your first impressions when you got the data back? It is, it is not probably. It is. I mean, okay. th- this the amount of data and the amount of feedback that we get from our members as it relates to this study is impressive. Yeah. And I am ever so thankful to our members for giving it. What stuck out to me though is that you have some trends which we've been seeing over over the years now. This study's been going on now for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. So we're actually able to see trends as they shape. And over the last ten years. The economy of the United States has gone through ups and downs like crazy, and so has the promo industry. Yep. Um, so what you have now is that over the last few years, for sure, the industry has been on an upswing. And instead of just what we've always measured, which are the leading products and leading markets and leading industries, which we still measure, and that's still incredibly valuable, we're also looking at trends that are impacting the industry right now. And we've been doing so for the last couple of years, and that's expanded this year. So now we're looking at things such as tariffs, such as buying groups, such as companies that now want to purchase primarily from one company that offer both hard goods and apparel. And we're looking at these trends now as they're shaping industry, and they really are, and I think they're going to continue. And that's really one of the main things that comes out of this issue is that you are not only looking at historic trends, you're also looking at what are the most current trends that are out there. Yeah, no doubt. We're trying to give the most complete picture of the market that we can give. And, you know, I think you know, this, is, this is our best effort uh, that we've put together. Uh, we're looking at historical trends. We're looking at recent trends. Uh, we're trying to give distributors an advantage in the market. And that's what we're, we're aiming to do with State of the Industry. Yeah, I mean, we're, giving, we're putting information out there that we think can be used by distributors to help them grow their business. You know, from my perspective, all the research that I do for our magazines um, in support of our, is in support of our members, and it's to help them grow their business, and it's up to people how they choose to use it. The more that they choose to use it, I feel the better they're off going to be. All right, let's start breaking down some numbers. Uh, you mentioned we still track very closely because people uh, want us to. There's lots of good reasons to. Top markets and top products. Yep. So let's go with top uh, markets first. Education has been number one for a bunch of years in a row. It remains number one. Although the percentage is slipping a bit, healthcare is creeping up. So in in terms of 2017, uh, education was 13% of sales. It's down to 12.6 in 2018. Healthcare was 8.7 a year before. In 2018, it was 9.9. So those are just the top two that uh, that we track. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good reasons to be bullish about healthcare, which we can get into in a moment. But when you look at all of the top markets, what stuck out to you? So you always look at the top. Right. And you always look at, and in this case, you're going to look at education. There has been a lot of news lately about higher education in America. Okay. And it's not been positive. Not been awesome. (laughs) Right. Right. So as this, as, as things such as the student loan debt continue to rise and as all of these pressures are being put on universities to curtail costs and to find ways to not have their tuitions rise at these astronomic rates, that's one of the things that I feel is impacting the spend there. Now, obviously, education is not only higher ed, right? It's yeah. secondary schools. It's primary schools. There's a lot of those out there. But even then, as budgets are getting tighter, you're starting to see a little bit of a, um, you know, you're seeing strengthening in other markets and weakening in that. And that's something that we haven't seen in 
for a few years now. Yeah, I think there's um, there's spending beyond just the obvious. You know, there's different student groups and camps and councils that you know maybe you know we didn't think of in terms of the education market a few years ago. They're now part of this. Uh, but I agree with you. There's definitely some slippage there. You know, in terms of market share. Whereas I alluded to a moment ago, healthcare. You know, I feel like. There's no question that people are getting older in America. People aren't going to stop getting sick. There's incredible competition when it comes to healthcare facilities, assisted living centers, uh, medical practices. You know, I feel like if you're if you're not invested in in healthcare in some way, this is a market that I would expect to continue to grow. What do you oh, think? Oh God, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the healthcare market in the U.S., especially as now you have a large number of baby boomers now entering into retirement age, and even right. the ones that are not there yet. They're getting there, right? You're going to all, and they're a huge segment. So you're all of a sudden going to have this, this what I would consider to be, I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years, healthcare is the number one industry in the promotional products yeah. market. That would not shock me. It had been there in the past. Sure. Um, it's and, coming back. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was that, but it even goes beyond what you would think. You know, you're talking about nursing homes. You're talking about hospitals. You're talking about doctor's offices. You're talking about public health agencies, theoretically, you're talking about all these different areas that are going to be using promotional products because a lot of times other forms of advertising are not going to be effective for this market because it's very individual, it's very local, it's very one-to-one. And, and this is a specific industry that I think is poised for really strong growth yeah. over the next decade or so. And as I go through this list, you know, I should mention that the complete uh, State of the Industry report will be out in the July issue of Counselor Magazine. We also have comprehensive coverage online at ASSCentral.com. Uh, uh, further down this list, uh, construction is definitely a market that has benefited from a growing economy. Mm -hmm. Technology has continued uh, to grow. Automotive is another sector that stood out to me, a jump of 1.5% uh, beyond just the top couple markets, maybe some of the ones I just mentioned. You know, what were the highlights for you? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, some of the ones, that, I think the ones that you mentioned specifically around construction, yep. that is incredibly cyclical. Sure. Right? So, whereas I can tell you 10 years down the line from now, I think healthcare is going to be in the top two. Yep. Or maybe probably one, and I think education is still going to be in the top two. I don't know that construction is going... To, to sustain that okay. as the economy goes with that, you really want to ride the waves there. Sure. And that's why I think diversification is so absolutely important. Technology is certainly one. Um, yeah, as the technology industry in, in the U S continues to grow, as we, you know, you know, manufacturing is still very strong in the U S and we have actually seen absolutely. that rebound from where it was in the past, but tech jobs and the tech industry is certainly a driver. And I don't see that in any way um, lessening at all. Yeah, on the opposite side, uh, not a huge surprise that retail is going the wrong direction. Uh, also, some drops over the past few years, not just over the last couple of years, in associations and clubs and nonprofits. Any particular reason beyond you know, just the fact that younger people don't want to join uh, you know, elk, the Elk Lodge anymore? Any particular reasons why you see some of these markets trending down? Well, no. I mean, I think that you hit on one of the main is that overall membership in a lot of yeah. these things is actually declining. Sure. I mean, if you're just talking about all of a sudden the growth of charities, right? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. That's going to be a little bit different because you have large charitable causes over the last decade and last five years even that have sprung up from almost nothing Yeah. that are now huge. But when you actually look at these formalized clubs, no, and they're shrinking. Yeah. You know, there's not new membership going in. I mean, just look, you know, for the church I go to, you have a Knights of Columbus, right? Yeah. I've never thought about joining. My dad used to head a chapter of it. <laughs> yeah. I I wouldn't even know to What's be. What's the matter with you? 
Yeah. I wouldn't even know where to begin or even what actually it's supposed to be. Yeah, I hear you. And I haven't actually researched it. So, <laughs> and I think that's sort of a indication of where those clubs are suffering. And also, you're dealing with budget constraints as well. If they used to get funding from a larger organization, if they used to get funding from grants or from state or federal agencies, they may not be getting as much of those anymore. Yeah, agreed with all those points. Uh, one market before we move over to products that we highlighted in the magazine, and for good reason, uh, the elections market. With the 2020 presidential election coming up, uh, I think a ton of money. Uh, that's my that's my very official uh, worded. That's your uh, estimate. A, a ton, a ton of money is going to be spent on uh, election-related promotional products. Uh, there's there's no question that's going to jump uh, going into next year. You know, Mike, it will, but it will still be well below what it should be. Okay, is two percent? If I put over under at two percent, it will be under. Okay, and I don't think it should be, and that's exactly yeah. the point. The, the issue is that a lot of a lot of the candidates and a lot of the um, people who are in charge of it yeah. have really fallen into a sense of routine, and I think it's ill-advised, mm -hmm. where they're going to be spending a lot of their money on social media marketing. Yeah. They're going to be spending a lot of their money on SEO. They're going to be spending a lot of their money on TV. Yet, from everything I know about all of those medium... Assuming that it's not being, you know, advertised in a unethical way, let's say. Yeah. How effective are any of those really in swaying opinion? I don't know You're that the data they actually. Guy. I don't know that they actually are that effective. Yeah. Whereas I can tell you that based on other items that I've seen and based on other research, like the ad impression study we do, we do see a much more positive lift from promo products than we do from other forms of advertising. And I don't even need to do research to tell you. That one of the reasons Trump won was because of the ubiquity of that hat. Yeah. And he did a hell of a good job, and his campaign did a hell of a good job in branding him with that. That other campaigns are not thinking to do something like that or trying to emulate that, I think is foolish. Yeah, I think part of the reason uh, in the past has been that there have been a few suppliers that are really great at political campaign-related items. But I think smartly, finally, now the suppliers are putting together sort of uh, kits and packages. Like, here's your starter kit that you can pitch to a you know, political candidate or a campaign. And I think that helps and will help distributors. So we have some information about that in the magazine that you could check out. Uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful, and I, and I agree with what you're saying, I'm hopeful that we'll see that number rise. If I say 2%, you say under. I'm hoping we see it jump beyond 2% with, with a ton is our official estimate, uh, money about to be spent on promotional products and political campaigns. Um, all right, let's move into uh, product categories specifically. Number one, Nate, uh, has been forever uh, recently t-shirts at 15.1%, yeah. uh, followed closely now by, not closely, but number two and has jumped up uh, drinkware, then polos. Uh, so those top three categories, what are your thoughts? Uh, I So what you have, I think, with the t-shirts is that We've actually saw, we started to measure the t-shirts specifically as opposed to just shirts in general yep. about six or seven years ago, right? Correct. So when we started to break that out, you all of a sudden had the t-shirt segment, which was always the largest. And it's been the largest for a long time. And that's because of it's used across every industry, across a wide variety of purposes. It's used in athletics. It's used in education. It's used in nonprofits. Mm -hmm. It's used in in every industry much more so than others are and they're purchased in incredibly large numbers yeah with that said though we have while that has been growing it didn't this year it was flat yeah 
you know, one-tenth of a percent here or there. It was flat. Where you see with drinkware is that sort of what you're looking for in any new product category is innovation. And I think in terms of drinkware, there has been a lot of innovation over the last several years. You know, everybody's going to point to the advent of the Yetis, right, in our industry and mm -hmm. how that's now being sold. But it goes way beyond that. You know, mm -hmm. is Yeti a popular brand? Sure. But it's also the quality of the products that has really been driving it. You know, if you go to a, if you go to an event now and they hand you a thin single-walled aluminum water bottle, you're probably not taking it home with you. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. But the the overall variety of products and the quality of products and the fact that now people are seeking them out. I mean, I just bought a fifty-dollar hydro flask when I was on vacation. Yeah. And it was logoed from a. Random company that I've never heard of before, but I like the design of it. But it was a hydro. And you've been so sleeping with this. I see you with it all the time. Is that what? Is that what I? Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I didn't know how you know that. Um, but like all, that, that is a. But that just goes to show you yeah. what innovation can do to a product category. It can yeah. revitalize it. And you know, drinkware used to be ceramic mugs. Sure. You know, if you go back to the olden days of the SOI, thirty years ago, that's what it was. The category has changed, and it's changed rapidly over the last few years. So I think drinkware has become sort of uh, like a fashion symbol, like in a fashion accessory where you, know, you have to have the coolest water bottle to go to the gym, or when you go to Hawaii, like some of us go to, uh, you have to come back with a ridiculously priced uh, logo piece of drinkware. I, can't, I still can't believe you spent 50 bucks on that, but it's a really nice piece of drinkware, and it was logo. Um, and, and I also think part of this, too, is that uh, you don't want to be walking around, Nate, with the single-use uh, plastic water bottle anymore that's just not considered cool. You're considered anti-environment you know, when you have that, uh, whereas if you have you know, a nice stainless steel, you know, colorful water bottle that you can attach to a bag, like there's, there's, there's something to be said for that in terms of this category rising. You well, agree? hell, they also work better. I mean, let's be clear. Okay, sure. There's functionality I mean, for, there. Yeah. Forgetting about the overall appeal of it and the you know sustainability aspect, yeah. which I'm still not even all that much better than just a plastic single-use water <laughs> bottle, to be completely clear in the long term, um, it actually works better. Yeah. You know, one of the key reasons that we learn why people keep things in the promotional product space is the functionality and the usefulness of them. Sure. And if I can, if I buy a single, you know, use 16 ounce, you know, Poland spring water bottle, it's going to keep that water cool for about 30 minutes. Yep. The high end hydro flask I bought in Hawaii, as you mentioned, will keep my water cool for 24, 36 hours. Sure. And you could buy it at Costco for half the price. <laughs> I digress. Uh, all right. I think those are all, uh, you know, interesting points as we look at top products. Uh, writing instruments, Nate, have trended down uh, in terms of market share for several years. People tell us it's as simple as uh, you think it is. You know, people just don't use pens as much as they used to. They're they're much more into you know electronics, and you know, I see that. Uh, bags uh, sort of been around the same percentage. I think there's a chance, as I've been saying for years now. Maybe one of these years I'll be right with all the single-use plastic bag bans out there. Maybe this category will rise as more distributors sell uh, reusable totes. We haven't seen that yet, but I think there's potential there. Mobile tech is definitely an area to watch. Sure. Uh, you know, I think everyone uh, has uh, a mobile power bank. Uh, you kind of have to nowadays. If I was to pick out, you know, one of these categories uh, that's that's 
a 5% or under that I think could make a, a sizable jump, that would be the one that I would pick. Yeah, no, I think that that's the one that's most prime for innovation, and that's really what's going to drive growth in any category. Yeah. I mean, if you think about writing instruments, the last innovation you had was when you put a stylus on the end of a pen. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. hasn't really, there hasn't been a lot of innovation. Sure. In bags, there has been, in terms of, or at least there has been innovation in terms of the types of products that are out there. Okay. But remember, this is measuring not necessarily overall percentage of distributors that are selling something. This is measuring sales. Right. So when you look at the the bags category, there used to be a lot more higher end bags that were being sold, whether it was backpacks or briefcases or things like that. So while you've had those go down overall, you've had these you've had the reusable shopping bags go up at a much much lower price point, and a price point that's come down significantly over the last few years. That's fair. That could be part of this conversation. I think you're right on that. Uh, I'm still hopeful that eventually it'll it'll crack. You know, nine. 10%. I think there is I think there's potential there. But I think tech is the the category, you know, to watch drinkware and tech would be two categories I'd watch going forward. All right, so we talked about markets, we talked about products. Uh let's talk about uh tariffs because they seem to be on everybody's minds uh for good reason. We asked this year you, you mentioned earlier that beyond the traditional questions that we always ask, we asked a few this year that uh, we're topical, and tariffs certainly part of that. Uh, you know, we found in one of our charts, uh, one of the data points, distributors are pretty worried uh, about tariffs. Forty uh, percent of distributors that are at five million dollars or more in terms of annual sales said they're greatly worried about tariffs. So, uh, what's the data telling us about tariffs right now, and where the market where the market is? Yeah, they're concerned about it. They're, they've been concerned about it all year long. Yep. Um, is the concern necessarily warranted in? in real-world fears that have happened? No, not necessarily. Yep. When we asked this right when it was mentioned back in early, or I guess sometime in 2018, mm -hmm. I want to say early 2018, there was concern about it. Even though nothing had happened and nothing was even being called for at that moment, there's concern. It's one of those buzzwords that's always going to be there. Now, if all of a sudden things start to go down with them and they do start to really impact, then you're going to see that number skyrocket. Yeah. Because there's not going to be anybody in this industry... Hell, there won't be too many people in America that are unimpacted by this. So that will be a huge, huge um, wake-up call. So, no, they're concerned about it, but they're concerned about the possibilities, not necessarily what's happening. Yeah, there's no question that more and more suppliers, as we go through each week, are raising prices. And uh, I, I understand why, as the cost of, of materials goes up. But you know, something that I think is being under-talked about is the exchange rate. You know, the, the yuan is, is being devalued a bit, and I think that gap is widening. So I don't know if there's going to be this massive, you know, influx in prices that has been predicted. Mm -hmm. If this goes on for a couple of years, it's going to be a major uh, economic hit. Uh, there is economists that believe that the world, including the U.S. economy, is already in recession based on you know, looking at yield charts and industrial production being lessened because of all the drama between the U.S. and China. Uh, do distributors have a right to be concerned? Absolutely. Uh, are suppliers concerned? I think suppliers are, are very concerned. Um, it, would, it would be so nice, wouldn't it, if uh, at the, it, it, over the next couple months, if there's some agreement reached where uh, this all goes away. I, I'm of the belief that the tariff train is going to get off the tracks and when we finally get into true primary uh, U.S. you know election season, because I don't think that's a winnable topic uh, for for Trump, a w you know, a, win a winnable platform to stay on. But uh, I think in the short term, this is a you know, this is one or one A in terms of issues for the industry. Okay, I don't know that I agree with you. <laughs> okay, um, well, what do you think? Well, uh, why I, do you disagree? 
I don't. It's affecting pricing. It's affecting confidence. It's affecting buyers and the way they they spend. Well, How is it not? Here's what I'm saying. I don't necessarily think that it's a losing topic for Trump either. Okay. Okay. I don't know that. I don't know that his base and the people that vote for him is going to be highly against this. And honestly, I think that's really what he is concerned about. So I don't sure. know that this will actually have that big of an impact. So therefore, I am not nearly as confident yeah. as you are that this is going away. Yeah. I, don't th I don't think this is going away um, until after the, after the next presidential election, which is 16 months away. Yeah, I would be shocked. Uh, I'll bet you a hoagie. I think there, I think there is a zero percent chance that this lingers that long um, because it would if 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 it goes on for 16 months, then tariffs are going to have to you know be upped again because we're not just going to stay status quo for 16 months. So if tariffs go up again, that's a major impact on the global economy. Consumers are going to hate that. I don't care. I, I really think you. Um, I understand what you're saying about Trump's base. But not to make this a political conversation too much, but last time there were three, you know, candidates, um, and this year, or likely in the next cycle, there's going to be only two. That's what I believe. It's possible that it's three. I don't know if if Trump's people believe they can win just with his base. So I think this will this will go away. Reasonable minds can disagree. So I, I think there is an end. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel here, uh, but it's still is one of the big topics uh, you know, going forward. Believe me, Dave, I would like nothing more than to do a Facebook Live <laughs> or a podcast with you in 16 months and not talk about tariffs. Yeah, I think we're tired of talking about tariffs. It's, it's horrible global policy. Um, anyone that's, that studied macroeconomics for five seconds knows that tariffs uh, don't work, and I don't think they're particularly working for the United States uh, right now. All right, uh, another topic uh, that we asked about this year that we haven't asked about before, uh, order errors. Um, 11% of promo products orders we found were delivered with errors in 2018, according to distributors. And 11%, Nate, is a huge number. Um, surprising to me. I didn't think it would be that high. You know, we'll track it over time to see how much it changes. But just your thoughts on 11% of orders being delivered with errors in this market. Well, errors can be any number of things, right? Errors can be mean under, under quantities. Yeah. It can mean uh, products aren't necessarily delivered as promised or as expected. And I think that's sort of one of the biggest things that we see a lot with a lot of this is that expectations are not necessarily meaning realities. Sure. Um, everybody's asking for things to be done quicker, faster, cheaper. Right. Right. Those don't necessarily go together well. Yeah. You know, you can't get things done as well as they used to be in such a short, short amount of time and then expect everything to go flawless. And I think that that falls on both the suppliers and the distributors. You know, I'm not going to say that 11% of orders not being delivered 100% correct is all on the suppliers because it's not. It's not. You know, very often we, we find out one of the biggest holdups in getting an order processed on time is making sure that all the required information from distributors is delivered to the suppliers when it's needed. Sure. Because otherwise, if it's not, then that, that, that compresses the timeline on these orders even further. You know, so is it, is it certainly shared 100%? A big part of this, um, as we've talked about, you and I, a bunch of times before, the percentage of orders requiring five-day turnaround. So stuff is, is you know, being needed to be delivered faster. Uh, it was 31% in 2016, 36% in 2018. So uh, distributors and their clients are asking for products to be delivered much faster. I think suppliers in a tight labor market are suffering a bit because they don't have adequate resources, not all of them, but some of them, to deliver uh, products uh, quickly enough and correctly enough. I think that's definitely part of this. The turnaround times are, are, are compressed. 
Uh, and what you said about distributors screwing things up is part of this conversation too. And 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 many of them, especially the largest uh, distributors, will say, "Look, I, I know there have been times where we have messed up, and that's that's fouled things up on the supplier's end. So it's not just suppliers that have to improve this number. Distributors have to improve the number too." Yeah, I mean, even when you look at that, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that five-day measure that we've used for years now is antiquated. Yeah. I don't know. It's five five day turnarounds. Two. Even, yeah, yeah. I don't know. If five yeah. day turnarounds even be considered all that exceptional anymore. Sure. Sure. Uh, let's hit on a few more things um, as we uh, go through our podcast here. Again, I'm Dave. That's Nate. Uh, we're talking about the 2019 Counselor State of the Industry Report, trying to break down some data. You can find the entire report in the July issue of Counselor Magazine, also online at ASICentral.com. Nate, buying groups is something we've asked about a couple of years now uh, in a row. Uh, 20% of distributors tell us uh, that they are now part of a buying group, uh, and there's expectation that there'll be more uh, next year. Uh, your thoughts on this data point? So yeah, it was fascinating. And twenty last year when we did this, thirteen percent were members, and seven percent said that they were going to be joining. Yep. And seven percent more said that you just couldn't wait to pat yourself on the back that the data rang, you know, data came true. Do it when it happens. Yeah. Man. Um, <laughs> what do I, I? I actually think that you're going that this is a trend that you really can't fight against. Yeah, I agree. People are looking ways to have a competitive advantage. They're looking for ways to really set themselves apart from the competition, or in this case, maybe just keep up with the competition. And if this is something that's going to be happening, then either get on the get on the ball with it or find a different approach to it. That's what you have to do. I don't know that it's going to continue at the same growth growth rate that it is right now, to be honest with you. I mean, you had they they went from nothing mm-hmm. to one in five, maybe that's a little bit high, maybe one in six distributors over the last couple of years. Right. I don't know that that's actually going to continue. I think you're going to have people all of a sudden you're going to reach a critical mass of people that aren't just qualified to be in it or just don't want to be or have other avenues. So do I see it shrinking? No, not unless there's a major pushback from some segment of this industry. But do I see it growing at that same explosive rate? No, I don't see that either. So we could see a third of distributors be part of buying groups. Is that like your guess on a cap or what? Years down the line. Okay. I mean, I'm talking, you're going past probably 2023. 425 before you get to that number. There are definitely benefits for distributors being part of a buying group. You have more pull as a as a group, uh, and there are some some really good buying groups out in the market sure. uh, right now. And and some suppliers are in a spot where they you know they have to you know say yes to to certain demands if they want to be a preferred supplier partner. I think one of the results uh, of there being more buying groups out in the market right now and controlling spend or funneling spend, you're seeing um, the profit margins of distributors and suppliers uh, on average going in opposite directions. Yeah. Uh, back in 2014, uh, the average uh, profit margin for suppliers was about 34%. Distributors was closer to 32. Fast forward to 2018, and it's much different. Suppliers uh, number is 307 the distributor uh, profit margin on average, 36.5. So there's a lot of reasons uh, that we've talked about ad nauseum, but I think uh, the, the price pressure is coming from buying groups, you know, one factor here. Yeah, price pressure is coming from buying groups, tariffs being eaten by suppliers, distributors asking for rebates. Sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that are working against suppliers in terms of developing higher profit margins. And I think what's going to, you're go, we're going to reach a point where they're going to have to say no. Um, are we there yet? I don't know, but I don't know how far away we are either at this point because distributors have been benefiting 
Yeah. Almost exclusively from all of these things we're talking about, the suppliers have not been. There are a couple suppliers that have shut that down and said, look, I can't, you know, the rebates have got to stop. You know, we, we've got to put an end to this. And, and, I, and they have benefited. So, you know, I think based on that, um, just looking at the numbers, this trend can't continue for suppliers. We asked and we held the data uh, privately. We asked distributors, top 40 distributors and top 40 suppliers, what their profit margins were. Uh, this year, and I was I was really surprised. There were some companies that had super healthy margins, but there were a good number of companies on both sides, particularly suppliers. Speaking to this trend, I don't know if those those profit margin numbers are sustainable yeah. uh, for large companies. Like I don't, I just don't think that's you know, a, a good strategy or a sustainable strategy going forward. Yeah, and it's not the way that the, it's not the way that industries work. Right, right. If it, you need all parts and all segments of an industry and a supply chain to be healthy. Yeah. And if one's not healthy, then eventually it's going to trickle to the other one as well. Let's hit on a couple more quick things. Uh, in this year's State of the Industry Report, we, uh, for the first time, uh, included some sections uh, specifically about suppliers. So SOI forever and ever has been, you know, this is how the market's looking for distributors, what the trends are. We included some trends um, this year on the supplier side. And you know, product safety inevitably came up. And, you know, I've known these numbers because Supplier Global Resource, which is a counselor sister publication, has been tracking uh, supplier expectations for product safety spending, uh, you know, going forward for, for years. And it just continues to shock me that uh, so few suppliers uh, spend money on product safety. The numbers are, you know, 30% of suppliers say they spent not a dime in 2018 and going forward 90 percent say they're going to spend about the same as they did last year um to me this is you know, i throw my hands up like you know i'm just waiting for and suppliers have said this to me you know look it's just a matter of time before uh, a power bank blows up and this is going to be a scar on us you hate to say it but it's just the reality of, of some of the the products out there these numbers just aren't awesome they're not very good at all <laughs> no they're definitely not awesome um you know and it, it even beyond the more catastrophic things, like you just yeah. mentioned, like with what happened years ago with was it Samsung, yeah, where everything yeah. went to hell Could and take it on a plane, up on planes, right? Um, you have to think a little bit smaller than that, and that can have just as big an impact if you are dealing with some of the new regulations around compliance yeah. that are out there in states like California, Prop sixty five, yep. You know, so safety and product testing goes way beyond just making sure that it's not going to blow up in somebody's you know, overhead Hand, compartment. Yeah, compartment yeah. It is it is making sure that the products that you're selling are, are as advertised and that you're meeting and that you're compliant with everything that's out there. And the fact that one third of suppliers are spending nothing, and even if you get beyond that to the people that actually are spending something, 17% are spending under $1,000 if they're spending anything. And in, what I find fascinating is these numbers are even probably better than the reality. Yeah. Because... People have a tendency to self-report things that make them that put them in a better light, okay. right? And we normally try to. Are you saying they're lying? <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is that they're that that in some cases it's exaggerated. Yeah. Okay. And it's based on what they perceive that they're doing or what they are hoping that they're going to do next year, as opposed to what the actual reality comes in, because that number has not changed much. Yeah, and it's a shame. And there's no question that the largest suppliers are spending a boatload of money, you know, millions on product safety. And Nate, you know, you and I have debated over the course of time, you know, should distributors be contributing, you know, something to this? And I've been on the side that there should be some cost 
uh, when I look at the profit margins, you know, I, I think it's you know, credence to that, that argument that maybe distributors can give up some of those margins. You know, how dare I, I suggest that, I know. But maybe if distributors gave up some of those margins and directed some of that money towards safety spending, that would, that would help this. Because it shouldn't all be on suppliers. Um, I understand that, that the, the buck stops with them, but I don't think it should all be on them. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's not a, these are not healthy numbers uh, for the market, and I hope that it doesn't take you know, some really bad uh, recall or something catastrophic for the numbers to turn around. It will. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what changes everything. Sure. What changes everything was all of a sudden when something goes very wrong and somebody very big gets hit. Yeah. And, yeah, no, do distributors have responsibility for it? Yes. Do they feel like they have responsibility in actually doing the testing for it? I don't think so. That's not my, my I have a different yeah. view on that. Their responsibility comes in paying more for the products to suppliers that are ensuring that their products are safe. And yeah. if suppliers are doing that, because we one of the th other things we ask in this SOI issue is do distributors feel like they have a, that they have a responsibility to ensure that their products that they're selling are safe. And overwhelmingly, they say yes. So I'm actually not sure that it's not distributors that are pushing back on paying more for safe products. I think suppliers not wanting to spend the money up front. And then if they do not marketing it correctly to say, listen, we are compliant, we're safe, here's what we've done. It's almost you want to treat it as a marketing point rather than just a something that's a given. Yeah, I don't know if distributors want to. I don't know if distributors are so quick to volunteer that, that we're going to you know, do this. I think they say yes, it's our responsibility. I think it's a a lousy, irresponsible business strategy to to go to market and say, well, you know, it's the suppliers that are fully responsible for this. If you're a distributor, you are responsible mm -hmm. to your customer. And and if there's some issue with a recall, you cannot say, oh, oh sorry, it was so and so that I sourced them from. You know that they were at issue here. That is that is ridiculous. So I, I have been on the, the side of distributors need to figure out a way with suppliers to get this right, because I, I just I think it's it's lazy and 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 frankly ridiculous for them to go to market with that approach. And there are distributors now that that have these compliance departments. It's mostly top 40 companies, but they're becoming more prevalent, and it has to happen. You have to have compliance offices you have to have people to understand prop 65 rules you just cannot go to market with the you know I'll, I'll pass the buck or the blame to someone else if something were to happen uh, I, I just you know give me a piece of paper that tells me that, that these this checks out that's not yeah <laughs> that's not good enough that's not good enough for me if I'm a distributor that's not how I'm gonna run my business that's me on my soapbox um, that's 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 yeah you know, I have a strong opinion on that preach Dave preach. Um, all right so consolidated spend and catalogs uh, you, you can read about more in uh, the print edition and online the last thing I wanted to and those are also questions we asked for the for the first time um, I want to end on Amazon because I feel like it's always the elephant in the room uh, we asked last year I believe for the first time how much of a threat do you think Amazon is um, we asked for the second time this year um, 48% of distributors view Amazon as a threat. 44% of suppliers view Amazon as a threat. Uh, not markedly different from last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Your thoughts, Nate? Yeah, so it's not markedly different. And in some cases, I think this is, again, very similar to the tariffs. Is Amazon a potential threat? Maybe. Yeah. Um, does Amazon want to get into this business? I don't know. Yes. Well, they, they, are, well, they kind of are. Well, they sort of are. I mean, if Amazon really... Well, they contacted ASI wanting to be in this business. So, if, yes, the if, answer if, is Amazon if, wants to be part of the market. If Amazon wanted to be in this business, they, they Jeff Bezos could spend one-tenth of one percent of his fortune, Less than and that. they would be in this industry. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know that it is something. And I, I also think though this is another area where this industry has to take a step back and instead of viewing it only as a threat, yeah. right? Look at, okay, well, if this is going to happen, if you think this is inevitable, what do we do to make sure that we're riding that wave of success that we perceive, we presume they're going to have? Right. Again, you nobody in this industry, in any industry ever, is going to be able to stand up to Amazon if they have their mindset to something. Right. So, but you can work with it. And how do you work with it? And I think it's really evaluating those alternatives. I think there's still too much friction in our market for Amazon to plunge in. Uh, we mentioned earlier the issues with orders and timing and how hard that is you know, for everyone to get the infrastructure right. So I, I don't think this is at the forefront on Amazon's wish list, but I don't think it would be surprising. We asked you know, separately, you know, do you believe that Amazon will buy or a distributor or a supplier in the next few years? And the, it was an overwhelming majority on both distributors that, that, that said that. The distributors saying that they're going to buy a distributor or buy a supplier. Uh, and I, I think that's true. Like, I, I, I think that it's inevitable that they're going to buy a company and that's going to be their launching point. Is it going to happen next year, the year after? Probably not. But I could see it happening not too far distant. Oh, and the, the top, I mean, I'm not going to say any of them, but top of mind, I have a list of companies that if they wanted to expand into this, that's how they're going to do it. Right. Yeah, on the distributor side especially. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to all of a sudden set up a web portal and say, come to Amazon to buy your products. Yeah. They're going to integrate something that's already out there from, a, from very well-known companies and do that. I'd be remiss if I, if I left out that there are clearly distributors in the market that are on selling on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, and there are clearly suppliers' products, however they're getting up there. Um, you could just do a search. And Amazon's kind of becoming like a search engine. That's really what, what it is more and more for products. Uh, there are suppliers' products, name brand and top 40 suppliers' products that are on Amazon right now. So Amazon is in the industry. A lot of the, the custom stuff and patents uh, that they're working on right now uh, could certainly um, have an impact in our market. Uh, so I think this, these are numbers are interesting to track over time. They didn't change much year over year, but I think going forward uh, they could. And I think the impetus for a big jump would be them buying uh, an industry company. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Anything else, Nate? Data-wise, that uh, you, know, you want to highlight? You no, I, I, just, I just I encourage everybody to, to, when you're reading this, take the time to look at it. Take the time to look at it online. Take the time to look at it in the magazine when you get it. And really digest it. And as you're looking at it, don't just read it for informational purposes. Read it, and as you're reading, think, how does this apply to your business, and how can you best take the learnings from this and use them to grow your business? Because that's really why we do this, and I want to emphasize that. Yeah, you know, we have um, you know, an impact chart section this year, and we have tons of different uh, charts and infographics and analysis uh, beyond uh, the awards section, beyond the top 40s, which are also an SOI. Uh, we really tried this year to, to break it down in lots of different ways uh, with different questions, and, and we're hopeful that uh, we succeeded in, in providing a really complete picture of the market. Uh, so that's it. Uh, for now, again, we'll have uh, the complete um, analysis, uh, charts, and much more podcasts and stuff available on ASICentral.com on July uh, 11th, as well as the magazine will be out, the July issue of Counselor Magazine. We hope you will take a close look at that. For Nate, I'm Dave. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.